Yo, this is Steve Bloom, and you're watching Moana Nui Podcast. We'll be starting soon. Don't go anywhere. I'm Veronica Taylor. I'm from myself and Ash Ketchum. I just want to say, Moana Nui, I choose you! Aloha, everyone. Thank you for tuning in for today's episode of the Moana Nui podcast. Uh, we're so glad to have you with us today. Of course, we're very excited about tonight's episode. I know y'all are still hyped up from our seven o'clock episode that we had with uh, at, from Dragon Con, Adasa and Maru Castillo from Encanto. I know I saw, we all saw you your comments and everything from it. So uh, we were very excited to interview them and have you see that for seven o'clock. But we have another great episode. Uh, for those that are joining us and meeting us for the first time, hello, aloha, I am Dana, the other half of the Moana Nui podcast. I am an event planner, a cosplay event and concert staff photographer for cons like Dragon Con, MomoCon, MA Week in Atlanta, and you probably even see my pictures with DC Comics. I'm also a voice actor and a whole lot more. And of course, I have to introduce the Renaissance woman of our time, the Ying to my Yang. Uh, she is a dynamo. She just released her second children's book and is working on her third so give it up to our very own, the lovely, the beautiful Moana. Aloha, everybody. Good to see you all tonight. Welcome to tonight's episode. I'm really excited to bring you guys another great uh, talent development topic in our partnership with KPAW. My and name is Moana. And as Dana mentioned, I am the founder and host of the podcast. Also a children's book author, uh, publisher for uh, the Wildcard Chronicles here at Burning Spear Comics, and of course, a champion and advocate for our BIPOC community. So we'll keep it um, short tonight, and I definitely want to turn it right on over to Sue Ann so that we can maximize the time that you guys have with our wonderful guests. And we'll bring Sue Ann on, and she can do the introductions, and Dana and I will go back. All right. Hello, Sue Ann. Welcome to the show. As always, we're so excited to have you part of tonight's show. And of course, as we get ready uh, for our amazing panelists, uh, I am going to go ahead and introduce our panelists. Our first panelist is Michelle Burst. Uh, I'm Burris. Uh, she is a fellow at Century Foundation uh, focusing on racial and gender equality in the workforce development. She leads to help the industry and, and 
inclusion cohort. Uh, prior to joining TCF, Michelle was a teacher at Truman High School in New York City, working with American immigrant students. Uh, she also served in our United States Peace Corps. So thank you for your service and, and also teaching English at a boarding school. So help me welcome Michelle. Welcome, Michelle, to our show. Thank you for being part of tonight's episode. Thank you and for having me. Thank you. And our next panelist is Penelope Strong. She is a sales leader who unites businesses with a diverse talent. They seek to be competitive in the 21st century and to make communities prosper. Her experience spent 20 years of differentiating brands, building relationships, and developing pipelines as a sales leader. As a first-generation American and orphan, Penelope has overcome um, adversity, is self-made, fearless, and relentless. She is truly an American success story. Uh, she is the founder of three startups and uh, in her spare time, she builds community as a volunteer, mentors women, and enjoy a whole slew of activities, uh, along with remodeling our home on the weekends. So let us welcome Penelope to the podcast. Welcome, Penelope. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And last but certainly not least, one thing we've learned about any of the women that Sue Ann has on our uh, her panels, they're all dynamos and definitely do not have their hands in just one pot. Uh, our next guest is Alexandra uh, Trucio. Uh, she is a first-generation Latina present, uh, presently working on technology and digital transformation in the public sector at Adobe. Uh, she has a background in management consulting and digital marketing and in her free time, she volunteers her time to community initiatives uh, such as she works as a chairwoman of the Chicago Auxiliary Board for Hispanic Alliance for Career Enhancement, HACE. And she was recently elected board of directors for the Treehouse Humane Society uh, uh, animal wellness nonprofit in Chicago. So once again, uh, help us welcome Alexandria. And with that, with all these amazing women, me and Moana will step in the back of the house and we're going to hand it over to Sue Ann. Uh, Sue Ann, it's all yours. Thank you so much. And it's so good to be back again this month for Development Thursday. And I have to tell you, I am really excited to interview these amazing leaders as they're all in different fields. And not only that, they're all in different phases in their career. And I think that this is a great opportunity when we talk about the topic of being proactive. You know, that's a broad topic. But what I thought we could do was have a conversation about, you know, when you're trying to move things forward and you're trying to stay motivated, what are things that these women do in order to move themselves forward in this environment, whether it's their career or life? And so I had asked them, you know, yes, talk about your background and talk about your journey. And also let's be practical and bring some tips 
and hence, because you know, I, I'm all about action. So with that, I'm, let me start off with Alexandra Tercios, and I'm going to have each of you tell your story and your journey a little bit. And also, I want you to share about your heritage, please. So Alexandra? Happy to kick us off. Um, so I'm Alexandra Tercios, and I'm a first-generation Latina working corporate America at Adobe. Um, like I was introduced, I came from a management consulting background, but I didn't always know I would end up here. I actually studied political science and global studies, thinking that I was going to save the world and be a foreign, foreign service ambassador. I took steps to get to there. Um, I did a Fulbright scholarship where I lived in Indonesia for about eight months and uh, taught English and worked in the community. And then I just had to kind of open up my horizons and think about what other career paths do I care about? I, I knew intrinsically I wanted to help other people. And I realized public service isn't the only method of doing that. And actually by making technology accessible, I'm still helping people. And so that inner desire to give back to my community is still there. And I pursue that with what I do in the community as well. Um, I am one of five children, um, middle child. I identify as an, a younger sister, but also an older sister. I'm an aunt. Um, I mentioned I'm the first in my family to work in corporate America. So I really view myself as a multi-hyphenate, multi-dimensional person who's growing and evolving each and every day. I love that. And, you know, one of the things that I love about Alexandra is that I think she's fearless about making change within her life. And that's one of the things that I think is going to be a great learning during the session and how she does that, because it does take proactivity to, to make that happen. So with that, Michelle, what about you? Yeah, first want to say good evening, everyone, and thank you, Sue Ann, and everyone from the Moana Nui podcast for having me. I will say I, I try to define myself as a servant leader. When I think about my heritage, I think about um, the elders in my life and being fortunate to have had my grandparents to a part of the majority of my life. Uh, my grandmother lived to be 91 and my grandfather 96. So when I think of the heritage, I think of the resilience that my grandmother had as a, as a black and indigenous woman who grew up on a farm in Oklahoma during the Great Depression and wasn't able to get her master's degree until her, she was in her 50s. So I think about the resilience that she had. I think about the uniform. Uh, my grandfather served in World War II in the Air Force, and he served at a time where the uniform didn't matter because he was black. And so he was still viewed as less than a human being. And so when I think about the sacrifices they make, it, it makes me want to strive better and know that they've laid down so much groundwork and put so much um, just resilience and, and knowledge into me to become better. So I would definitely say being a servant leader, um, I'm really going on my third year at the Century Foundation. We're a nonprofit think tank looking at racial equity, gender equity, and workforce development. By training, I'm a teacher. And so it's just wonderful to be in this role really looking at how to bring more people in the workforce um, who look like us, um, particularly students who come from historically black colleges, tribal colleges, Hispanic serving institutions, and just ensuring that everyone has a chance to thrive, um, particularly in the workforce. So thank you so much, Sue Ann. I love it. And by the way, one of the new additions to facilitating our Unleash the Shiro in You program, which I'm very excited to have Michelle be part of our team. So thank you for saying yes. So Penelope, how about you? 
Thanks for having me, Sue Ann. Uh, considering I only just met you a couple of days ago, um, I am a first generation American as well. Um, I'm actually a transracial adoptee. I'm ethnically Korean. We're referred to as CADs, Korean adoptees. And, um, but because I was adopted by a white family, I'm culturally white. And so it's always been um, just um, a strange existence, just never feeling like I had a tribe to belong to. Um, so that's been just kind of a lifelong journey. I'm a divorced mom to three children. I grew up in New Jersey, but I've lived more than half my life in Atlanta now, and I love it here. I'm a sales enablement coach, entrepreneur. Uh, I'm a community builder and volunteer. And um, you know, my story just started out being abandoned one day as a four-year-old on the street corner with no explanation and just living in an orphanage for five years with not enough to eat and not knowing what was going to happen to you next. And then one day I was just shipped off halfway across the world um, to a family and had to live with them for 13 years. And I experienced a lot of um, bullying as a child and I experienced racism and microaggressions and gaslighting um, all throughout school, uh, even my home. And it's even, you know, extended into my adult life. So my life's been, you know, just about a lot of um, endurance, resiliency, just being strong, being patient, and just knowing that um, I think a lot of optimism, though, too, because I knew one day I'd be 17, leave home, and just reinvent myself. And um, that's that's what I've done. Well, Penelope, I think your story is absolutely incredible. And not only that, I feel like just based on our conversation that you're kind of on another journey now of discovering <laughs> your heritage, right? Yes. And asking some questions. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an amazing thing. And it's going to, you know, it's gonna, it'll be interesting to see where that takes you. I'm yeah. Very yes. Thank you. That. So many journeys, so much to unpack. Absolutely. So let me start by asking each of you to kind of describe how did you end up where you're at in your career? Just kind of walk our audience through your journey. And let me start with Michelle on this one. Sure. So I would say my career really started uh, when I left for the Peace Corps after graduating from Spelman College. And just to show the power of one person, I was literally in a computer lab telling someone, you know, I want to travel, but I also want to collaborate and work with people in communities. And literally just one person said, you need to do the Peace Corps. Um, and so went ahead and did it. I served in Rwanda for two years from 2014 to 2016, teaching English and also helping with computer literacy, gender empowerment and HIV AIDS prevention. Um, at the time, I was the first black volunteer, particularly in my community. And um, the common perception of America at the time was that there are no people of color in America. And so learning how to deal with kind of the the microaggressions to what Penelope was speaking about too, and also the misconceptions that people had, particularly when it came to race and racial diversity and race relations um, in America, and also the uniqueness of being in Rwanda, which you know had a genocide um, in 1994. And so that's really how my journey started, learning how to, what does it mean to, to have compassion and empathy 
with people who may not even understand my full identity and how do I learn from them so that this is a two-way street. Um, so really that was my first introduction to culture competence and decided that I wanted to stick with education. Um, moved to New York City to go back to school and, and worked at Truman High School working with African immigrant students, which was a phenomenal experience. Some of my students had been in the U.S. for 14 years, some had been in the U.S. for two days. And so really just talking about um, issues facing the continent, ranging from gender empowerment to humanitarianism. That was a phenomenal experience. My students did more for me than I could do for them. Um, and then graduated graduate school, really struggling to find a job. And um, I was gonna save this for later, but really for me, it was embracing the detour. So I ended up working in environmental science, um, playing basketball, literally picking up trash with kids. Um, during the summer while I was trying to look for a job, hadn't heard anything back. And then literally an email from one of my colleagues came um, for the Century Foundation that they were hiring. And I applied and I've been there since September of 2019. So really embracing the detours and just trying to figure out what my purpose was has really helped to define my career journey. Thank you. Michelle, just just hearing, I just feel like I took a world tour, <laughs> literally listening to I just took a world tour and just the fact <laughs> that you are literally like working with so many different people and the fact that you planted yourself in another country so early in your career, that just gives a whole different perspective. And we're going to explore that a little bit more, but I just love it. I think that that's amazing. Thank you. So, so Penelope, what about you? What What's your journey been like in your career? <laughs> well, I feel like I'm a little bit older than the other two, uh, than Michelle and Alexandra. And so my story is a little bit longer, but I started in marketing uh, fresh out of college. And then I transitioned um, to software development. I wanted to be in technology. I could see the future, um, but I uh, took a little detour <laughs> like Michelle and um, I ended up starting a family way sooner than I had expected. And being an orphan and never having that sense of family and belonging, I um, you know, just wanted to hold this baby that they handed me all day long. And I was really fortunate that my husband at the time, he really wanted me to stay home and kind of just provide that um, you know, traditional family that he had grown up with where the mom stayed home all day and you know everything was hunky-dory. Um, so anyway, I did that for 18 years. But while I did that, I actually started two uh, businesses and I did everything. I um, came up with the concept, I did the sales, the marketing, the e-commerce, the finance, the procurement, all the people management, everything. And um, it was it was just super fun and I loved it. I, I loved wearing every hat in the organization. I just really thrived on it and I loved the creativity and being innovative and not having an answer to anybody about it and just kind of going with my ideas. Um, but I, I needed to leave the abusive marriage I was in. And so I started planning to go back to work or back to corporate America. And um, after a year and a half, I got referred by a friend for a sales position. And so I transitioned to sales. Um, made it into field sales, and that's been a really long journey. Um, but then the pandemic happened, and that changed that changed my whole life. It was crazy. It was like 
I've spent my whole life being the only Asian everywhere I ever went and not really knowing where other Asians were or how to connect with them. But suddenly because of the uh, increase in hate crimes and then when the six women in Atlanta got murdered, it just really compelled me in such a deep way. I, I still can't even really describe it, but it just made me want to really reach out to uh, the community. And so I immediately transitioned and said, oh, I'm going to get my DEI certification. And I didn't really know where I would go from there, but I just knew that had to be my first step and that I needed to just follow my passion for the first time and just go for what I wanted and figure out how to monetize it later. Um, so that's what's led me to uh, forming my own company. I love the fact that, you know, you're an entrepreneur. I mean, let's face it. And the fact that, and I always say, hey, I am the, the uh, CEO and the janitor. You know, I wore all hats in between, but I mean, you do, you pretty much do everything, you know, in nonprofit too, because it's almost like being an entrepreneur. But, uh, but I love the fact that you said you followed your passion and you will figure out how to monetize it later. I love exactly. that. Yeah, sometimes we like to get everything lined up, make sure, you yeah, know, you can't. don't know. Yeah. Sometimes you just have to fly by the city of your pants. And I do that a lot. I admit. I love it. I love it. And we're going to talk about that because there's some risk taking there that um, you're intimate with. So I think that's an important piece. Alexandra, what, what's your journey been like? So I have somewhat of a traditional but non-traditional path and linear and non-linear at the same time. Um, you know, when you graduate high school, people talk about going to a four-year university. Well, that wasn't in the books for me. I come from a very large family, first-generation Honduran immigrant parents. There is no way they would have been able to afford to send five children to college. And so from the moment I was 18, I was super self-sufficient and independent and had to kind of figure out my own path. That led me to being to working three part-time jobs at one time and studying full-time at the community college locally before I could transfer over to U of I and finish out my four-year degree. And initially, you know, I have this writer's bug within me. That's always been my passion, um, storytelling and uncovering um, you know, other people's uh, perspectives and narratives. And, you know, at the time, there weren't a lot of Latinas or Latinos in that space that I was working in. And so I, I had to kind of broaden my horizons and think outside of the box and say, okay, how can I market myself and position myself for the best outcome possible down the road. Well, let me pivot into a more broad um, area of study like political science and global studies, and I can open up a lot of other possibilities and kind of pivot and transition from there. Um, so after graduating college, I took on a lot of kind of odd jobs. Um, you know, during school, I mentioned I worked three part-time jobs. I was in sales at, a, at sales, uh, in cell phone sales at a kiosk at the Navy base. I was a peer mentor that was paid. Um, I was a teaching and research assistant. So I just like took on a ton of stuff and kept an open mind. Um, and then I was able to kind of just, I didn't know what an internship was, by the way. Um, I found out my junior year, I should be looking at internships or I should have been my freshman year, but I was so concerned with paying off college that I that was an afterthought for me. 
And so it was kind of crunch time for me. And I ended up taking a couple internships in marketing and, and global affairs and communications, just kind of taking what came at me. Um, and then after I graduated, um, I did work in education for a little bit. I had been involved in the TRIO student services sector. And so I felt a natural pull toward that. And so I was working with high school students on what's your plan after college? Are you going to go the vocational route? Are you going to go to college? How about the community college? I want that path. You're going to be okay. Um, and then um, I mentioned I did a Fulbright fellowship. That process took a year um, of planning for, you know, going through the, in uh, the interviews and going through like a three-step approval process. So I actually ended up getting it. And I resigned from that job and I took a risk, you know, going back to that concept of risk taking and calculating the paths and the opportunity costs with making a decision or not. I said, you know, this is going to be a life changing experience. So I packed my bags, went across the ocean to Indonesia to a very small rural town. It was complete culture shock for me. Um, I had to wear clothes that went down to my wrists, down to my ankles, very conservative, uh, majority Muslim type of population. Um, but that was one of the biggest growth opportunities for me. Um, and during that cohort, the, the group of, um, there was 20 Americans who were flown out there and we were all across the Indonesian archipelago. And, um, you know, we were talking about what are you going to do after this fellowship? And someone mentioned consulting. Again, I had never heard these terms as a first generation Latina to blue collar working parents. You just don't get exposed to the language and the career paths that people with the legacy knowledge do. And so I'm like, hmm, consulting. I don't even know what that is, but let me look into it after I finish the program. Um, so that's where I started my formal career in corporate America. Um, I was working in alumni engagement and marketing. And it was at that time where I'm like, I don't know if marketing's for me. And also, I want to differentiate myself from my colleagues. How can I do that? And I saw tech as an opportunity to do that. A quick story. I literally, you know, I, I worked uh, within uh, a cross-functional marketing team. Some of them were doing web development and managing the website. And I literally went up to them and like, I'm going to pull you into a conference room. Teach me everything you know, or like the high level things that pertain to my job that I can offload from your from your shoulders and learn a new skill in the process. And I was actually going around to like every department at that company. I went to graphic design. I went to them. I went to folks on the other um, marketing teams just to expose myself. And that one you know, me taking that action that and taking proactivity toward learning a new skill set, that launched a whole career for me um, because I was able to learn content management systems. That led me to Hyatt Hotel Corporation where I was managing um, their North American and Latin American websites that, you know, upwards of $20 million in pipeline um, related to their website maintenance and whatnot. And then I was able to get into Accenture, which is a very large management consulting company, and I specialize in Adobe products. I wasn't even on the market <laughs> to really look for a job, but Adobe actually came through to me via LinkedIn. And because, you know, I really put a lot of focus into personal branding early on, um, they were able to approach me and say, hey, we have a position. Would you consider taking it? It was slightly related to what I had been doing prior uh, within the Adobe practice at Accenture. And again, I took another risk. It was during the pandemic. Um, I've been at Adobe for a year now. And I said, you know what? I can either stay 
complacent with where I'm at, or I can take a risk and try it out and things are going to work out. If I don't like it, I can always go back or use this as leverage in the future. So that's where I'm at now. I'm now working with Acrobat and electronic signatures and in a completely new field that I did not anticipate, but I love every moment of it. Well, first of all, Alexandra, I'm a big fan of community college. Uh, I am also a community college product, and I think that's definitely a very positive alternative, you know, to start because at the end of the day, people care about where you graduated. They don't care that you went to the community college. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, but from a cost perspective, that's huge. The second thing is, again, that risk taking, the ability to say yes to an opportunity when you don't have a lot of information. Right. The fact that you're willing to put yourself out there. And then I think the third thing is just the fact that, okay, so here's the appeal, right? You ask to meet with people, but the difference is you actually ask for work that you could take on. So like it was a kind of a, it's not just me giving you time, but you actually ask for work to be offloaded to you. That's what I heard you say. Aligning right? value. Yes. What's so good for you and what's, yeah, what's good for them? What's good for you? So it was like an, an exchange, um, you know, a be mutual benefit. I think that's key. When you're asking for something, what are you willing to give? Right. I think that's huge. And the fact that opportunities happen and the doors open because and sometimes you don't even expect it to your point. You weren't looking. And no. that's the best. Right. So I love that. So thank you for sharing that. Michelle, tell us about a situation where you actually intentionally were proactive in something and it turned into some type of an opportunity. Sure. That's a good one. I think um, for me, well, I'll tell this story actually at the Century Foundation. I met my boss about a year and a half before knowing he was even going to be my boss. And I'm typically very introverted and don't really, not trying to be in the limelight, but he had spoken to our class and I decided to stay after and ask him a question more one-on-one -on -one about the work that he does. And then Fast forward a year and a half later, I saw that opportunity arise to be able to work for him. And, and so, you know, when I wrote that cover letter, the first sentence said, hello, I met you a year and a half ago and we were able to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation about this question. And I do think that that helped because that relationship had been established. And because I had to push myself out of my comfort zone and just talk to this person who I had no idea was going to be my boss at the time it led to me being able to have this opportunity at the Century Foundation. Um, so I think for me, it was going past that comfort zone, what's already been said, you know, saying yes to an opportunity. And when it was time to do the cover letter and do the interview, it wasn't, it, it was definitely like nervous, but it wasn't as daunting because I had studied the person, I had studied my former boss in graduate school, that having that relationship one-on-one -on -one where we were able to talk a year and a half before it helped. And I do think that it, it, it helped me to get the position, but that was really one of my like really opportune examples of being able to be proactive and see that it led to an actual job opportunity where I've been at for the past three years. I've since then switched to workforce development and, and have a new wonderful colleague um, boss that I work with now, but that was my foot in the door that I'm going to be forever grateful for. Absolutely. And uh, I tell you what, I know you have several examples and I may do like a round two 
But Penelope, what about you as an entrepreneur? How does this show up in terms of that proactive? How does that show up for you? Yeah, it, it really shows up almost every day. Um, I think first, um, you really need to be introspective. You really need to know yourself. And because of my weird lived experience as an orphan, um, I spent a lot of time by myself. I spent a lot of time just thinking. And um, so the more you know yourself, knowing your strengths and your weaknesses, and really being honest with yourself, you can really then start kind of creating a, a vision for what you want. And I'm very intentional and purposeful in the way I think, the way I do everything every day. And, you know, um, Michelle and Alexandra, you, you both mentioned words that I was going to bring up, like pushing yourself out of your comfort zone, recognizing opportunity, building relationships, um, you know, just seeing opportunity because not everybody does. Um, you know, what's obvious to you isn't necessarily obvious to somebody else. But being proactive, it's really a mindset. It's a lifestyle as an entrepreneur. Because if you have um, goals you want to attain, you have to figure out what it is that you want for life, from life and then figure out how you're going to achieve it. What is that vehicle that's going to get you there? Um, if you can dream it, then you got to somehow come up with a plan. And I think this is really key and important, but you really need to be accountable. That's super, super important because a lot of people will dream, but they won't really be accountable and, or they don't want to be accountable. And so they'll never take the actions, unfortunately. So it's just like anything you want to change your, in your life. If you want to be more health conscious, or you want to become more fiscally uh, responsible or, you know, figure out how to make more money, or you want to become just a better person, whatever it is that you want to do, whatever it is that is important to you, that's what you need to learn to develop and practice. And because I'm an athlete, I always talk about muscle memory. Everything that I do, I practice daily. And until it becomes natural, until it becomes second nature. And that's that's really super important to being proactive. So picture it in your mind, talk about it so that it becomes real, and then start taking the steps and really pursue it. Um, that I think that those are the key um, steps to being proactive. I love the fact that... Um you're you're always talking about being deliberate mm -hmm. about what it is that you're trying to do and i you know and i'm telling you it's funny people will say i don't know if i could ever be a, a, you know an entrepreneur cuz like i need infrastructure and I, i'm like oh heck no i don't need it. no i don't i can set my own goals my own calendars my own stuff exactly. and my own you know. so i, I mean, think you can do it for a job you can do it for mind, yourself yeah it's a mindset like you said, you said it was a mindset and a lifestyle. I love that. That should be a bumper sticker. <laughs> it needs to be a bumper sticker because it is true. You have to think like it's always about what's the next step and anticipating, right? I think yeah, that's I so important. But the hardest part, like anything else, is getting started, which is, by the way, why I had to get a health coach. 
because I needed some help to get things moving in the right direction, right? With my focusing on my health as an example. But that is very, very, very helpful to say it is a mindset. It is a lifestyle. I love it. Alexandra, you've already given a, a couple of examples, but do you have any other examples you can share about proactivity? Well, I think a good segue from where the last dialogue ended is don't be afraid to ask for help. And so I think one really prominent way that I'm proactive in my daily life is I constantly ask for feedback. And I'm, Sue Ann, you mentioned I'm fearless. I, I actually have a lot of fear when I go into these conversations. But, you know, what my mother t taught me and other people in my life is feel the fear and do it anyway. I'm all, I'm super nervous when I go in and ask, what could have gone, what, what did I do well? What could have gone better? What should we be thinking about next time? And that's, you know, also has been molded in this mindset from consulting is having this retrospective or introspective mindset and kind of baking it into your day to day so that it's muscle memory. I love that term. Um, and the more that you intentionally do actions and, you know, it just goes into autopilot and becomes part of your DNA. Um, and so I would just encourage, you know, anyone looking to be proactive is constantly seek feedback, but also parse through that feedback because not all feedback is valid. And so you need to really know yourself, know your values to be able to discern, okay, this feedback is in alignment with what I'm hearing from a lot of other people and what I've identified as an area of growth for me. Um, and then you can plan for that. So I think, you know, I echo all the, the advice that has been given so far. And, you know, I think it's great to be able to, to plan and anticipate the needs for the future. What you I said that, about, Alexandra. yeah, the, the, the whole discerning the feedback. So what I, the term that I use, everyone is called responsible feedback because not every feedback is going to help you necessarily. Yeah, I have a lot of stories around that. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And maybe that's a good one. Uh, and we'll take a round of that too, because I think that's, that's important because, you know, we think just because somebody gives it to us that we, you know, that we might think that we have to incorporate that, that may or may not be true. You know, so I think that is very important, but you got to have the confidence to know right? What's what right for you? And then what do you park over here and say, okay, good to note, but I'll park it. So let me do, I like that, Alexander, you, you prompted me then to ask the question, what's feedback that you've received that you're kind of like, eh, not so much. <laughs> so let me start with Alexandra, then Michelle, and then Penelope. Alexandra. I actually just had this conversation maybe a few days ago. So um, I'm excited to share. Um, I had a nightmare manager in the past. Um, it was my first job at a corporate, and that's when I learned there's a whole unspoken rules of engagement that people don't onboard you onto. And that's not fair, especially for first generation or minority people who are entering the workforce or that environment for the first time. And so that, that was a huge learning curve and learning opportunity that I'm actually grateful for, even though it was a little traumatic. But what I had to ultimately realize is, okay, I'm hitting these metrics and these milestones, but it, it's coming down to, you know, personal or preferential feedback. It's not objective. And, um, you know, a couple ways that you can discern that if, if you're 
you know, on the fence of, okay, is this actually valid objective feedback or is it someone's preference and how they like things to be done? Um, you know, things that don't really move the bottom line for the company who that won't impact the reputation of the company. You know, maybe it's a slide that has a design that doesn't really vibe with your manager. I think those are just, you know, some things to be cautious of. Um, obviously, it's it's good to get feedback from multiple peers. Your peers are value, you know, a very valuable source of information for you. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, I think being able to tweak your language and, you know, the way that you speak with other people in your company is really important. But um, that was a situation um, where it's like we had objective guidelines and then it just came down to someone just not liking the style or the the tonality behind something. And I had to not take it personal and keep in the back of my mind. Feedback is always a reflection of the other person and not necessarily me. And so I can take things with a grain of salt and keep it in perspective. But like you said, you don't necessarily need to implement it, especially if you're getting positive feedback from other people and the aggregate data you're getting is opposing what one person's saying. So hopefully that helps. Absolutely. I think that, you know, again, it's it, the preference piece is an important one because um, that you know, depending on their style, that style may or may not be well accepted either. So you, yeah. you really have to discern. Uh, and it's also, you got to stay authentic, right? That too. Yeah, right. Because, you know, a lot of times in corporate America, previously it's been white male dominated. And so that can come into, you know, complete contradiction with someone of color, a young female coming into the environment and, breaking the status quo and not everyone's ready for that. And that doesn't necessarily mean anything's wrong with you and how you approach situations. It's just, you know, is that organization right for you? And in this moment of time. So I had to make a tough decision to leave that environment um, eventually and say, you know what, I'm actually not thriving here and they're just, they're not ready for me. (laughs) So let me, let me see what else is out there. That was a decision point. Yes. Decision point. And you guys, you have a choice. So this is an important piece. Yeah. And I didn't think I did at one point because, you know, you're, you know, you hear about what your family, the sacrifices they've gone through and challenges. And then you're like, oh, I should be more grateful. But, you know, it ends up working out at the end. You just have to have faith in yourself. Absolutely. Michelle, what about you? Any feedback that you receive? You're like, yeah, no. I'm just adding on to Alexandra. I think sometimes as women of color, at least, you know, growing up as as a young black girl, you're kind of taught, keep your head down. Just keep your head down. Don't be seen. Don't stir up anything. And like, I, I, I get it. I, I get the framing of, you know, don't don't start drama, do your job, you know, get paid. But but also there's a quote, I believe it's from Marion Williamson, who are you not to be brilliant? Who are you not to stand out? Who are you not to be the person who you're meant to be to your fullest potential and to walk in your purpose? And so with that, you know, when I think of keeping your head down, it's, it's it, it negates my choice to want to be positive and the choice to want to thrive and the choice to want to bring value to the to the company where I am. And so I I, I, I understand the framing, but I push back on it because if I keep my head down, how can I bring about change? How can I move forward on diversity, equity, and inclusion in my role or at the company if I'm always having my head down and not saying anything about it? Um, 
believe it, there was a professor in the civil rights movement and he used to say, you can't be neutral on a moving train. So you have to, you have to take a side or something. You have to stand up for something and that's the values and that's the kind of the, the legacy, um, particularly as people of color. I think about John Lewis where he would say, you know, stir up good trouble. It's okay to be in good trouble. And so um, thinking about what that means um, while also it doesn't mean you got to cause drama and cause fight, but you, you do want to keep your head up. I'm going to call that selective drama. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, like selective drama in order yeah. to, you know, because sometimes it is appropriate, but it's that, that intentionality, like Penelope said, it's always about, are you being deliberate about what it is that you're doing? And sometimes it does require some stirring. Right. But yeah. um, Michelle, one of the things that um, you said about, you know, the fact that you keep your head down. First of all, I think that sounds Asian as well. Because, you know, that is Asian. And, 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 you know, it's like there's an appropriate time to keep your head down in terms of, but there's exactly. a purpose with it. Exactly. Right? Keep your head down to achieve that particular purpose, not just to keep your head down to keep your head down. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. So we have to find, we have to find where, to, where to do justice to both of them. Yeah, because that is how you stay proactive. And it's yeah. motivating to be proactive. Yeah. If there's a purpose, right? Exactly. So that's huge. Yeah, I love it. You have such great quotes too, by the way. I love it. We need to like write these things down, okay? I watch watch a lot of TV. Yeah. <laughs> watch a lot of documentaries, that's all. <laughs> Penelope, what about you? Oh, gosh, everything you ladies said just really resonated, um, you know, as a first gen American and especially returning to corporate America late in life. Um, I didn't know what the rules were. I didn't know that there were politics involved because, you know, you read a job description and they or the recruiter calls you and they're like, we want a change agent. We want somebody who really knows the process, who who can do this because nobody else can. And the companies, you know, they need you. And so, you know, you buy into this messaging and you're like, wow, like they want me to be a change agent. This is phenomenal. What an amazing opportunity because I'm full of ideas. <laughs> and so I, I actually, I went into this um, one position as a sales manager. They wanted a change agent. I went in there, completely upended everything, improved processes, uh, improved performance and KPIs. Like some of our SDRs improved like 800%. My team was top team every month, month after month. Yet when the president or the CEO came, and he would come quarterly and have a meeting with all the managers. And he and I had established a relationship because he had gone to UGA and my daughter was, uh, she had gone to UGA. So we just kind of naturally formed a relationship and we would chat when he came into town. So we're at a manager's meeting and he's talking about some stuff and I'm sitting there thinking, mm, this is not what's going on here. He could see it. And he came to me after the meetings at Penelope. Tell me what's going on. I could tell that things aren't what I've been told. And so I said, okay, can we schedule a meeting after this? He goes, yeah, let's sit down for an hour. But right before that, I went to my VP and told him, I was honest. I said, hey, uh, Alan called me in. We're gonna have a meeting. Do you wanna join us? And he's like, no. And so I went into the meeting and told him all of my ideas. Like I had identified 15 areas where we needed to improve and um, he was 
furiously writing down all these notes. So I'm thinking, wow, that was a really great meeting. And I walk out really proudly thinking, well, I've just really contributed, um, you know, all this great knowledge and now the company can move forward and improve. And instead, the next day, I got slapped down by my VP and told I needed to be on the same page. And then three months later, I got laid off. So sometimes when you don't know the rules, they can come back and just slap you in the face, bite you in the butt. I did it again with another company. It was a nonprofit. I thought for sure that you know, I was exactly the kind of person they were looking for. And instead, it was the exact opposite. It was a really hostile work environment. They weren't open to any of my ideas or contributions. And I ended up getting fired by the CDO. So sometimes, you know, you think that you're doing good. And um, but sometimes corporate America, they don't really want what they say that they want. And so that's been quite an interesting uh, career journey for me. Well, first of all, I totally agree with Alexandra and Michelle. Just first of all, vulnerability. So appreciate that. And the second thing is, oh, you thought it was about logic and clarity. Really? Yeah, no. Let me tell you, everybody, it is not always about logic. Okay. It is, it is, you have to understand what it is that your boss needs, right? Anything that like makes your boss look not like he's not performing, that's not going to help, right? Because you are being honest. I'm you just thinking I'm improving process. Yes. And he took it personally as yes, a, a personal front. Yes, and that's not did. how it was intended at all. I mean, I was told you're being hired as a change agent. We need more women in the company. We need women with your skill set because no one has the skill set. Right. And that's how they yeah. responded. But what about the rest of the people about the change management? Were they prepared? That's the part that's missing. Yeah. Yeah. That's the yeah. part that's missing is the rest of the culture was not. Yeah, prepared. that good old boy system that they wanted me to come in and infuse with innovation, they didn't appreciate it either. How dare you be smarter, Penelope? How dare you? So, they weren't ready for you. They weren't ready. They were not ready. And you know what? That's probably, that's the part where I feel like, you know, a lot of times, the talent is not maximized, right? In these environments, because you're kind of put in this box. I'm going to call it the yeah. double window pane for, especially for women of color, which means not only does glass ceiling, acrylic ceiling, the bamboo ceiling, whatever material ceilings you want to call it. And then you also have the walls where they pigeonhole you in a particular area and then you can't move around because you're so great at what you do, you've become an expert and now we can't afford to lose you. I was so, to be seen, but not heard. Exactly. So it is, I think the big thing is it is not always about logic and you need to understand the political landscape. And that's huge. That's part of that proactivity of, and the fact that you talked to the VP before, <laughs> that was exactly what you should have done, right? Yeah. That was exactly what you should have done. So 
that's really that's really a great example for so thank you for sharing that that was very very helpful all right so let me ask you this so i'm gonna go do like a little bit of a quick round table what would be one thing if you wanted to move your career in a positive direction whether you're an entrepreneur corporate nonprofit what is the one thing that you've done consistently that helps you move something forward? What's like a practice that you do? And be specific. So I'm going to start with Penelope. For me, it's really been creating that vision and then moving forward with it. You have to take that first step. So many people are paralyzed by fear. And um, maybe because I'm just a risk taker by nature because of the life I've had um, and I've had so little to lose, um, I'm, I just, you have to go for it. You, there comes a time in your life where you just have to stop fearing and take that step off the cliff and just, and especially to experience will do this for you. You learn that you're good and you learn that self-confidence and then when you have that and you can embrace that then you know you can do anything and so that's why i started up my company and you know started with a vision and then all it is that it's kind of like learning to walk what do they say about walking it's just a form of controlled falling that's what building a company is that's what being proactive is it's just taking those first steps and you don't necessarily have to have it all lined out perfectly. Um, like I said earlier, I kind of fly by the seat of my pants a lot of the times, but it's just so important to take that first step because I talk to so many people and they're just, they're so fearful. They won't do anything, but just do something. And, but if you can do it with intention and purpose, that's really key to do. Absolutely. And by the way, guys, I know that a lot of us are afraid of being wrong, but it's kind of like indecision is worse than the wrong choice. It's almost like, yeah, because you're so paralyzed, but I love that. Have the vision and then have, I'm always about a plan. So yeah, you learn from failure. So I don't fear failure. Life yeah. is trial and error. And so is business. I love it. I love it. Michelle, what about you? What's like, give me something specific that you do that's a practice. For me, it's cultivating the good, the non-toxic professional relationships. Because for me, working in a grassroots space slash social justice slash diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, the relationships matter. There can be someone, maybe someone knows a senator that I'm trying to talk to about historically Black colleges that I just don't know. And being able to have those relationships and help each other that are not so much transactional, but are just helping us to, to come together on one purpose and help each other thrive. So people say it is hard. It's hard to follow up sometimes. It's hard to circle back two weeks later, but cultivating those good relationships um, so that you know I can be in solidarity. Yes, one person can change the world. In this space, it, it helps though to, to have some help to be able to do it. So just forming that solidarity and, and really nurturing those relationships. I love it. And by the way, I'm going to do something that I'm not as good at that I need. I'm trying to get better at. That's like actually talking to elected officials about some type of a 
that's not my forte, but I'm doing it anyway next week in Washington, D.C. So whew, I got I'm sweating already. <laughs> Alexandra, what's your practice? Um, in the similar vein as Michelle, I'm going to bundle it up, up into one sentence, which is the art of the follow-up. This is low-hanging fruit that anyone can accomplish. If you're sitting in on a meeting, take notes, follow up, send an email with here are the action items that I captured, hold other people accountable. Hey, at our last meeting, we talked about XYZ being accomplished this week. Where are you on that status? So being a really good PMO, project manager, and following up, I think that's something that anyone, whether you're technical or not, can start doing today, leaving this session. So I would start there. I love it. Thank you so much. And I can't believe an hour has gone already. So contacts. How, Michelle, how do people contact you? Yes, the Century Foundation or my last name right here at tcf.org. Very simple. Very good. Penelope, how do they get a hold of you? Um, you can email me at pstrong at diverseworks.us or follow me on Instagram at diverseworks.us. I love it. Alexandra. Um, you can reach me on LinkedIn under the name you see here, Alexandra Tercios. If you'd like to email me, uh, my email is a-t-u-r-c-i-o-s at adobe.com. I love it. I told you they didn't disappoint, did they? <laughs> Amazing. I love it. Thank you so much. And I'm going to bring back on Dana and uh, and Moana. I don't know if you're, you're coming back on, but I just so appreciate this incredible opportunity to have these lovely guests with us tonight. You're on mute, Dana. <laughs> I definitely agree. Um, one thing um, me and Moana has constantly said that uh, even though the panelists don't know each other, the Sue Ann knows how to align yes. certain panelists. And if you watch any of our past panels, like every time it's like, what, an hour's passed already? It's like, yes, that it is just that deep. We're just hitting the tip of the iceberg. And it is such a great conversation that people can connect and learn from. But of course, there, you know, this these sessions are just giving you a starting point. From there, you can do your research, your due diligence, of course, reaching out to our panelists to continue striving to be more proactive in your career, in your business, in so many aspects, because there's a lot of woulda, shoulda, coulda, and I like to call it. And then, of course, you know, the procrastination, the fears, especially for people of color that um, you know, you, you've seen as far as generational curses of our previous ancestors and stuff, what they went through and a lot of fear gets passed down, uh, on being able to step into your own. So I like to thank all three of you for being on here, especially Sue Ann for her amazing panels. If anyone is attending this for the first time and is curious about our past panels, uh, please go to our YouTube page. We have a section for panels that you'll see a whole channel for panels and you can watch all of our previous panels that you can get that um, professional, uh, we have our panels and a professional development channel. Go to the professional development channel. You watch all our previous panels that we've had. 
talking about, you know, um, you know, uh, the individual development, of course, today pro being proactive and a lot of those help conversations we need to know to strive because last month we got into a good conversation. People asking, you know, someone in the audience asked about how do I ask for a raise? And the panelists went right into it. Boom, boom. <laughs> so once again, like I said, we like to thank our panelists for being here. Definitely taking strive. Take watch the replay on the recording in our YouTube page. Take notes of anything you missed, and also share with your loved ones and your friends who you know may benefit from this conversation. Um, Moana, any last words from you? I just want again thank you the thank the ladies for your time um, and the energy um, and your experiences that, that you share. Um, I know Dana and I definitely learn a lot, and we always get a ton of good feedback um, after yes. the fact. So thank you all for your bravery um, and being proactive to help our community. Thank Very you much. Awesome to be here. Thank you so much. Well, thank you all. And then, of course, uh, of course, we said it before the show started. And anyone who watches our show, uh, we always welcome our panelists to come back for any initiatives or things they have going on uh, with the organizations that they work with, uh, community involvement, free events that may be for professional development. Just ping us. We'll love to have you come back on and do a deeper dive into your organizations and some of the stuff you're doing. So once again, we thank you all for your time. And once again, being part of the Moana Nui podcast. And everyone, have a great evening. And we see you Bye. all next Thursday. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Good night. Good night. So many stories left to tell Even if we have to ourselves Can't keep history on the shelf If they won't tell it, we will If this the land of the free, it was a freedom then When they annexed Hawaii and called it Sea the Lands Without any type of payment and no signing off Called themselves the Republic in 1894 1.2 million acres overtaken from the native Hawaiians When they resisted, the West retaliated in violence and erasure The Hawaiian language is banned As part of colonialism's plan to expand, yeah Stuck between a rock and a hard place Multiple bombings of Koholave As a part of their ongoing war with Asia Used it as a place for target practice No consent or compensation Colonizers call for annexation No regard for all the locals School will never let you know So many stories left to tell Even if we have to ourselves can keep history on the shelf If we won't tell it, we will Too many stories left to tell Even if we have to ourselves can keep history on the shelf If we won't tell it, we will We will So if you put Hawaii in a perspective Well, black and Asian history is interconnected Considering the fight with the Pacific then of course, versus Asia, they was treated as a middleman for war But didn't let the western colorism run its course Cause dark skin was a sign of dignity to call The land was taken in the name of capitalism When prior to it was an actual kingdom Clap back at the system Stuck between a rock and a hard place Multiple bombings of Koholave As a part of their ongoing war with Asia Used it as a place for target practice No consent or compensation Colonizers call for annexation 
Network up for all the locals School will never let you know So many stories left to tell Even if we have to ourselves Can't keep history on the shelf If we won't tell it, we will Too many stories left to tell Even if we have to ourselves Can't keep history on the shelf If we won't tell it, we will So many stories left to tell Even if we have to ourselves Can't keep history on the shelf if he won't tell it, we will Too many stories left to tell Even if we have to ourselves Can't keep history on the shelf If he won't tell it, we will We will